have a forest of trees to cut down and you only have four hours to do it, I would spend the first two hours sharpening the axe. That being said, do a good job planning what you want to do and where you want to go so that you end up getting where you want to go instead of ending up where somebody else may want you to go. Hello everyone, welcome to Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com and I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this podcast. We're a show that's all about the accounting profession and particularly all the career paths that you can take when you start your career in accounting. Our guest for this week is Greg Ogburn in the Amarillo, Texas area, which is part of what we refer to as the Panhandle in Texas. And Greg actually talks about that a little in our program as well. I invited Greg on the show because I was thinking he had quite a bit of variety in his professional life. And it turns out that yes, he definitely has a few irons in the fire. As you'll hear in the interview, in addition to operating his accounting practice, he also acts as co-executive director for the CPA Society in the Panhandle. And that's quite a different job, much more people focused than most of us may realize. You get to interact with volunteers and it's also got an aspect of nonprofit management to it. So it's a nice contrast versus Greg's other business endeavors. He sounds like he really really enjoys the variety and you'll hear it in his voice he's definitely passionate about the profession as well we get into talking about the future of our profession a little later on in the interview if you find value in this episode for yourself please check us out online you can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com we have all kinds of audio and written accounting career focused materials we have books we have blogs we have other podcasts of course and even a few tools for employers as well if you are an employer one offering that may interest you is in our courses section it's titled hiring in public accounting. It's specifically created for those employers in public accounting that are looking to improve on their hiring process. Once again, you can find it in our courses section and it's titled Hiring in Public Accounting at whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Greg Ogburn. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, for the audience, Greg Ogburn is on the line, and we've been trying to schedule this for a while, but frankly, we both stay pretty busy. One of the things we have in common is that neither one of us are happy juggling just one or two things. I think we enjoy the thrill of having, let's just say, variety (laughs) in our professional lives, and that's actually one of the reasons I invited Greg on the show. I run into a lot of individuals that volunteer in the profession But something I found interesting about Greg is that he doesn't just volunteer. He's actually taken on the role of co-executive director for one of the TSCPA chapters, actually the Panhandle chapter. And he does this in addition to running his own business. I figured it's not just a good career story for us, but we're also going to be able to get into talking about the profession as a whole a little bit in this episode, which I always thoroughly enjoy. Well, Greg... Before we get into the mix of all the different things you do these days, I always like to start at the beginning. What initially caused you to think about pursuing accounting as a possible career in the first place? Well, a couple of things, I guess. Back in high school, I took a couple of what were called bookkeeping classes, and I always ended up about a semester ahead of the rest of the class. And so it came rather natural to me as far as the rudimentary 
fundamentals of accounting. And then when I got to college, I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. You have to understand I'm a rebel at heart. And so I was talking to my college advisor about going pre-law or into accounting, and he quickly put me into all pre-law courses. So I rebelled and started late in my four-year college career and switched over my sophomore year to all accounting stuff and decided to go that way instead. Interesting. Did you have any interest in law at all, or you just I thought had, you'd be talented? Uh-huh. I had some interest in law because my uncle was a lawyer, visited him out in Colorado, and he went on to be a district, federal district court judge in Colorado. and So that always intrigued me a, a little bit, but the accounting just came so natural to me. Okay. I guess it took you a little longer to get through college, you said, because you made the choice a little later? Oh, no. I still finished in four years. Oh, oh, okay. I misunderstood that, You have to realize I'm old. Back then, we still did college in four years and then have the 150-hour requirement that most people need to sit for their CPA exams this year, this time. (laughs) I'm with you there. (laughs) So what was your first job out of college like? How did you get your initial experience? Well, I believe I was a little bit naive to the whole situation. I interviewed out of college with uh, big eight firms. And for some reason, all I knew is everybody said, go to the big eight. They didn't tell me I could go tax or management consulting or auditing. And so I just got pigeonholed in auditing like most everybody else coming out of college does, I guess. And I began my career in Dallas with Arthur Young and Company. Hmm. Okay. And How I, long were you I, with Arthur Young? I was with Arthur Young and Company for about three and a half years. Okay. What did you do for I remember when I started there was I learned more in my first two weeks of training than I did in my four years of college. So. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people... Definitely a great educational background experience. So take us from those initial years at Arthur Young to starting your own practice. Because I I don't know a lot about you you prior to starting your own firm. Actually, I guess not that much afterwards either. But how did you get your experience and what made you make that decision to start your own firm? Well, after I left Arthur Young and Company, I went to another local firm in Dallas And at that firm, I began developing some of my tax knowledge and skills because it was a smaller firm and required the staff to do more than just one area. And after I got married, my wife and I decided that we did not want to try to raise kids in the Dallas Metroplex. And we ended up moving to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I went to work for another local firm there doing essentially the same thing, working in both the audit and tax side. And after being there for a couple of years, I realized there were more chiefs than Indians and that for me to grow quickly, I was going to need to branch out in a different direction. And so I visited with some friends of mine and began my own practice in 1991, basically shared an office with another CPA who had a small sole proprietorship that he was running and began my flourishing career from there. Wow. I either didn't realize or had forgotten that you had your firm that long. Wow. Okay. 1991. That's amazing. From there, we expanded into Los Alamos, which was about 35 miles away uh, where the National Laboratory there is. And so I had operated two offices for a while and then essentially closed it down into one office. In 2003, we left Los Alamos, New Mexico, and moved it back to, or moved to Amarillo, Texas. My wife had some family in the area and basically started afresh. Yeah, but because back then, you know, we didn't have the cloud and (laughs) some of the other tools. 
it would have been hard to keep clients between it, the two it, cities, correct? It wasn't too difficult. Of course, my wife accused me quite a bit of going back and forth between the offices, just uh, my respite, but in trying to get out of being in, the, in one office or the other at the time. So it was a little more difficult because you did have to go physically visit clients in both places. So I'm thankful that we do have the cloud now because I still have several of my clients in New Mexico that did not want to leave me even after I've left. I've been gone from there almost 16 years now. Wow. Wow. I'm thinking, so when you started your practice in 1991, that was when it was still fairly new to be doing taxes on a computer, right? Yes. In fact, when I first went to Santa Fe... I know we were still filling out input sheets and taking it to a third party to put into their computer system to run for us. Wow. And I my can't gosh. if I did that my first couple of years or if I did something different. It's been way too long, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting started in the field at that time. And so, yeah, I just I remember the first PC and that kind of thing. Interesting. Interesting. So tell us about your practice today. What does it look like now? Do you have employees? Or do you pretty I'm much basically truck- operating as a sole proprietorship right now, and I have a couple of employees working with me. So we do uh, bookkeeping, payroll, and a tax practice. I'm not doing okay. audits or anything like that anymore. Okay. You mentioned clients in New Mexico still. Do you primarily work with individuals in the local area? So is that an anomaly or do you have sort of clients all over? Clients you don't necessarily Uh, see too frequently? uh, I've got clients in, well, several different states that I don't see all the time. Most of my client base is in the Amarillo, Panhandle area now, but I still have a handful back in New Mexico that I still go back and take care of sometimes. Okay. Any particular niche or specialty or concentration? Oh, Nothing intentional. I obviously do a lot of real estate accounting and taxation, and for some reason, I seem to be attracting uh, insurance companies a lot, so all independent agents and stuff like that. And then there's the construction issue, people who are out there. Okay. Yeah, everybody's got at least one construction client. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that interested me is that, you know, you're doing this, and serving as co-executive director there for the Panhandle chapter. And actually, come to think of it, I don't know who the other co-executive director is. I'm assuming there's another one. But how did this all come about? Because it seems like it's, I'm sure it's fun, but it's definitely a commitment (laughs) that some people would think, you know, gosh, I just want to run my practice. I don't want to do this also. So how did this all come about? Well, it started when we first moved to Texas. And my wife, Joby, actually was hired to become the executive director of the Panhandle chapter when a long time previous executive director decided to retire. And she did, ran the chapter for about five or six years, I think. And then she decided she did not want to do that any longer and wanted to try to do something different. And she actually got back into selling real estate. And then the person who replaced her decided that she didn't want to be the executive director anymore, and so they recontacted my wife, Joby, to see if she'd be interested in coming back. And at that time, the company that she was representing in real estate wanted people full-time, so she knew she couldn't do it, commit to it quite a bit. She made a deal with them that if I came along to help her, we would 
do the job together, that we both be co-executive directors of the chapter. Funny part of that is, is I'm ended up doing a lot more than she's been doing over the last few years. <laughs> I basically do most of the administrative and executive type work, and then she helps out in a lot of the CPE offerings that we take care of. Okay. I was going to say, the meetings we go to are big, but I've met you a few times. I, I don't think I've ever met her. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since she's been to one of the state society meetings. Interesting. So, you personally, how much of your time does this encompass? Weekly, monthly basis, however you measure it. Well, you know how everything sort of evolves. You just take care of things when you can, so it's hard to, for me to put a nail in it as far as the number of hours. But the way we work it is I treat the Panhandle chapter as a client of my firm. Okay. So they pay my firm a management fee, and so basically it gives them full access to me for everything we need. So like when we have executive directors meetings in the middle of tax season, it makes it a little more justifiable for me to skip out and go to those, attend those meetings as well, even during tax season. So that's how we kind of made it work, but it's probably maybe 20 hours a month. Okay. And some, plus whatever the CPE stuff is on top okay. of that. Wonderful. And, you know, for people that aren't in Texas that may be listening to this, because we have a lot of listeners, give us an idea of the size of the Panhandle chapter. I guess what geographical area does it cover and, and just ballpark, how many members does that chapter have? Okay. Our geographical area is, I think we have the top 19 counties in the Panhandle of Texas, which is basically, if anybody's familiar, if you go halfway between Lubbock and Amarillo and draw a horizontal line across the main city that that would go through would be about Plainview. Basically, Plainview North is what we cover, and we currently have just shy of 500 members. Okay. So we're considered what the state calls a medium-sized chapter. Okay. Wonderful. So you've definitely got events to plan and a full board, I would think, and it's a very worthy part-time job. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it and enjoyed getting to know some of the other CPAs around the area and just having conversations with them about how things are going and stuff like that just makes it worthwhile. And, of course, we offer CPE throughout the year. I think we offer 40 to 60 hours of CPE every year for the people in the panhandle. Wonderful. And you have other real estate interest or, or other business interest outside of the practice and your part-time job, correct? Correct. What all do you do? <laughs> well, we have a real estate management company that basically manages real estate that my family owns. And so we take care of several different properties, residential and commercial. And so we dabble in a little bit of everything. Okay. So I get to be the leasing agent. I get to be the bookkeeper. I get to be the guy who plunges the toilets and changes light bulbs and all that fun stuff. All right. Now, we're trying to attract people to the accounting profession, so you were supposed to leave the toilet part out. <laughs> well, the reality is sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That is too funny. Okay. Is there anything else from a career perspective or business interest perspective that I didn't touch on? Because I was assuming it was those three things, so maybe there's more. At this time, that's all there is, so... Okay. Our properties can keep your hands full, I know. So I I was just curious, though, because you seem to like having several irons in the fire. So that makes sense. You know, I'm curious, where do you want your practice to go long term? Where do you see it headed? A well, vision I'm at for the that future? age right now where I'm starting to begin to think about retirement. 
although I joke with several people that I've spent all my uh, retirement money trying to get my kids to become professional athletes, and since that didn't pan out, uh, my only hope is to go out of balance someday. <laughs> and that was a joke for your accounting people, so that they might be the only ones who understand that. <laughs> I know, that's a bad accounting joke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I should do a separate episode on bad accounting humor because there's a lot of it out there. We <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, that's... in one of my networking groups, I always introduce myself as the accountant with a sense of humor, so hopefully it's not too bad. That's but um, right now I'm trying to grow my practice into something that will be a sellable thing in the not-too-distant future. Okay. Do you see staying with the executive director role for a while? Uh, Yeah, I think that's something I'd like to hang on to even if I end up selling my practice someday just because I enjoy the community and the involvement and hanging out with other CPAs who are of like mind and energy and want to serve the community. And so it's been a, a real enjoyable experience that I'd love to continue. Okay. You know, we both were in the presentation by Barry Melancon. I'm afraid Barry I'm Melanson, there we go. I knew I was going to mispronounce his name. That's horrible. But we both were in that presentation about sort of the future of the CPA certification. And actually, several of the presentations were talking about just, you know, the future of the profession and challenges and opportunities and that kind of thing. What do you see as some of our greatest challenges or or opportunities going forward? You're a co-executive director for a chapter, so I'm really curious. Well, I think probably the issues that we have in front of us are the same issues we've always had in front of us. They're just flavored a little differently. Obviously, the continued rapid development of technology will always continue to play a part in who we are and what we do and how we do it. So that's something I would definitely recommend to your listeners to stay abreast of and stay as current as possible on and look for new opportunities that will come through dealing in technology and using that as a tool and resource in the profession. I think in a lot of ways, it'll make our job more challenging and more interesting at the same time. And um, the other issue is there's still a sort of a void in those who are trying to sit for the CPA exam. And I think we've done a poor job of letting our accounting majors and young accountants understand the value of the CPA, what it means to the business world, and how to uh, more effectively sell that to people who are interested in pursuing a career in accounting. Let them know that that is the premier marquee of the CPA profession. Do you have any thoughts on how to do that on a practical level or anything the Panhandle chapter has done maybe? We haven't pursued that directly other than through some conversations we have with the college students that are nearby here at West Texas A&M University. We've made presentations to them to try to explain more profoundly what the CPA profession is, what it means to be a CPA, and why you want to pursue that. And frankly, we've had some professors who give us some negative feedback on that. And so sometimes it's not as easy as we would hope, but it needs to definitely be ingrained at the college level, if not even earlier in the high school level. And some have even suggested, like I think we heard in New Orleans, even in the junior high level, to begin making the CPA designation seem more, for lack of a better term, sexy. Mm, Yes. Are you saying you get pushback from college professors on promoting the exam or promoting the certification? A little bit. They're just not being able to connect the value to where they are. 
Interesting. So that, okay. that was a little disheartening when I heard that comment. But hmm. okay. On the other hand, there's a lot of even more positive things going forward because to me, I mean, becoming a CPA means you have the keys to the kingdom. You can become a CPA and start an accounting and go anywhere. The number of CPAs becoming CEOs and CFOs in, in large companies is increasing all the time because of the breadth of knowledge that comes with that designation. Yeah, there's a universal applicability of the CPA certification that while there's a lot of value in other certifications, they're not as universally applicable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, working in the career space myself, I just think it gives you so many more choices if you get the CPA certification. One of the things that I repeat often that I think Warren Buffett is attributed with saying is that accounting is the language of business. When you know the language, you're the one who can interpret it, explain it, discern it as it needs to be done. Hmm. I'm curious because we were both in this presentation. Do you have any thoughts on the essential body of knowledge or skills? you know, that should be required to be a CPA because there's conversations about, you know, what the future exam will look like and what the future qualifications will look like. And if an accounting degree specifically, or at least as we know it today, will even be a prerequisite or the only way, rather, you know, to become a CPA. Do you have any thoughts on that material that was presented? I'm still wrestling with a lot of that. I understand the intent is the accounting profession can become so broad that we lose some of the necessity for some fundamental kind of accounting knowledge. But to me, a broad knowledge of subjects with some depth and some niche areas is probably the right direction to go. I just don't know how to implement that. For instance, to have to have a general accounting background with maybe a focus in data analytics or specific focus in auditing or taxation or technology or mergers and acquisitions, or, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is to include the new things that we need to include, but without making it, you know, just double the requirements. I mean, <laughs> we're going to have to remove something. <laughs> right. The body of knowledge is increasing almost as fast as technology is improving And so there's no way we can obviously harness all of that information into one body of knowledge. And so there's going to have to be a discernment process of what is a necessity versus what is a specific skill set to pursue. Hmm. Well, that's a whole other podcast episode right there. We (laughs) (laughs) That one one you probably need a roundtable for with an educator, an association person, a practitioner, and a student. See if they can come to some agreement on that. I like it. You're giving me some ideas. Thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, and we have some questions that we end every show with, so I want to leave time for that. But before I get to those, though, you have a lot of variety in your life, and it sounds like you really enjoy your professional life and, you know, how things are lined up. I'm curious, if you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice. What do you think that might be? Oh, let me think about that for a second. I believe what I would probably advise what one business philosopher always referred to as sharpening the axe. And that is if you have a forest of trees to cut down and you only have four hours to do it, I would spend the first two hours sharpening the axe. That being said, do a good job planning 
what you want to do and where you want to go so that you end up getting where you want to go instead of ending up where somebody else may want you to go. Mm, Wow. How would you have applied that to your own life? Do you have something specific in mind? For me personally, it would be just basic daily planning in order to get the tasks accomplished that need to be accomplished in a day. And sometimes, especially when you have very varied interests, you could be going down rabbit holes all day long and be wore out and have not accomplished anything. And so that, for me, would be, you know, spending a few moments or maybe an hour at the beginning of every day planning my day effectively so that I can accomplish the most things that I need to get done. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I'm a big planner myself, and I find a lot of value in that. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, and so we probably should get to those. The first one is usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Two things. One of which is getting my CPA license. I'm one of few people that have actually passed the CPA exam twice because I originally passed it in Texas, back where we can condition practice all by itself and then take the other parts as you go along. But when I moved to New Mexico, they did not like me passing it that way and wanted me to wait five years for reciprocity or retake the exam. So again, being the rebel, I took the exam again and passed it with an even higher score. So that was one proud moment. And then another one is back when I was beginning my career in, uh, with Arthur Young & Company, I went on a purchase price audit with the Fort Worth office of Arthur Young. They got me out of Dallas and took me down to Houston to work. And I did the field work in regards to interest rate swaps that this particular client was dabbling in. And of course, that was before interest rate swaps were popular and there was not any written guidance on how to take care of interest rate swaps. And basically, the work that I did, I won't say it was published, but when the accounting rules came out for how to treat interest rate swaps, it was pretty much the way I had handled it back in that purchase price audit. So I felt pretty good about myself for that. I'm still in a daze from you saying that you passed the exam twice. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody doing that. I mean, the going joke is, yeah, you know, I couldn't pass it again. And here you are. <laughs> Oh, well, my gosh. Actually, in New Orleans, I was talking to somebody else who said his wife actually passed it twice, too. So there's two of us I know in the Texas Society that have passed the exam twice. I, wow. I have never heard of that. I didn't know that existed. I mean, I know each state has a little different requirement, but I thought reciprocity you know, took care of all that. That is interesting. I'm just curious. How much time was there between the two? Oh, uh, there was about three years, maybe. Wow. Did you have to take a review course again? I did take a one-weekend review course with, uh, it was actually with Ray Clay. Okay. Just one cram course, though. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. I was just happy to know that I'd learned something in my years of experience. <laughs> For everybody listening to this that's struggling with the exam, if Greg can pass it twice, you can pass it once. <laughs> I can pass it twice. Anybody can pass it. Wow, that's still amazing. Second question. Tell us about a lesson you learned the hard way. And frankly, the more you could tell us about the situation, the better, of course. Well, I think this one goes back to my college education, I think. And I was taking a Christian business ethics course. And this was back in the day when going to class was still quasi-optional. But I had my business ethics professor called me into his office one day and we had a conversation about my attendance. And he told me that he knew that I was smart enough to get the material and learn it on my own and come in and pass the test, no problem, and get good grades at it, but that I was 
missing out on allowing other people to have the benefit of my knowledge and world experience. And I never thought about it that way. And so that's something that I learned, embarrassingly so, by being called into this office. But it's something I've tried to apply in my life, business life, spiritual life, family life. It's not about what I get out of things all the time. It's about what I can provide and give to others in whatever situation that I find myself in. Mm, wow. He's good at the guilt trip. That is a good lesson. I wouldn't have thought about it. making me feel guilty, actually. So one of those light bulb kind of moments. Never thought mm. about it that way. Yeah, that's a life lesson for sure. Definitely. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and start to close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh, I've got so much advice in my life. It's hard to distinguish, but probably the best piece of advice I'd ever received is, sounds sort of cliche, but it's never give up. Hmm. There may be a hard way to do it. There may be an easy way to do it, but just never, 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 never give up. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, that definitely applies to getting the CPA license (laughs) that we were talking about earlier. Well, that's perfect advice to end this on for our show. Definitely. Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. And if you haven't yet visited our site, please do so. We have a lot of accounting career content there for you. Plus, on the show notes for this episode, we'll list a few other episodes that may interest you as well along the same lines of this story. That website, once again, is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Greg, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience? I would just encourage those of you who might have an interest in accounting to go ahead and pursue it. It's a worthwhile endeavor. And like I said before in the podcast, that we are certainly the owners of the knowledge, the language of business, which gives us inroads into all sorts of different aspects of business from leadership all the way down to accounting beans. I think that's the best I could give anybody. Perfect. Very well said. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us as well. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.